And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter is Samantha Butler. On today's program, we're looking at the intensifying tech war between China and the United States. A new smartphone unveiled by Huawei last week got people talking because it's powered by an advanced homegrown microchip believed to be made by the country's top semiconductor firm, SMIC. Some experts say this represents a breakthrough in China's chip-making abilities, achieved in the face of Washington's concerted efforts to cut the country off from advanced chip-making tools. Still, this new chip is considered to be years behind cutting-edge tech from the U.S. Nonetheless, an influential U.S. congressman is now calling for a complete halt of all technology exports to Huawei and SMIC, accusing the chipmaker of violating U.S. sanctions by using American technology to manufacture the new chip. So what do you make of this? Is the tech war going to heat up and how will this affect the economy? After 9.45, we'll find out more about new dating trends in Hong Kong. So let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Backchat, on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, before we get into our discussion, here's a, a quick update on the traffic situation. Um, because of the flooding, the following road sections are still closed to all traffic. And that's uh, Tai Tam Road, both bounds near Shan Chui Court. Sheko Road near Lan Nai Wai, Chai Wan Road Roundabout and Ping Che Road. And also, because of landslide, the following sections of the ro- of roads are still closed to all traffic. And uh, this includes uh, all lanes of Peak Road, both bounds, and uh, all lanes of Stubbs Roads. And uh, most of us are advised to use alternative routes. And of course, I will keep you, I will try to keep you updated during back chat. Um, now to uh, kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Ivan Lam, a senior analyst at CounterPoint Research, Joseph Gregory Mahoney, a professor of politics and international relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai, and Brian Wong, an assistant professor in philosophy at the University of Hong Kong. Good morning to all of you, and thanks for joining us on the program. Um, let's start with you, Mr. Lam. Good morning. Good morning. Now, the uh, new 7 nanometer chip is a technological breakthrough for the mainland. Um, how advanced is it exactly? So, uh, only uh, speaking that uh, for the tech breakthrough now in China, actually is still like uh, far away from the cutting edge because currently that we just have a very, uh, we can call it a, a layback uh, technology breakthrough uh, due to the sanctions. Right. So with, with this uh, new chip, uh, which, I mean, you said uh, it's still far away from cutting edge tech. Uh, how many years behind the U.S. would you say the mainland is uh, at the moment? Uh, sorry, can you repeat? You said uh, uh, the mainland is still far away from a cutting edge uh, tech uh, in the U.S. So um, in your view, how many years behind the U.S. would you say the mainland is uh, in this area at the moment? It is like uh, still uh, like less than five years if like talking about the chip uh, making because currently that uh, for the chip making it involves a global uh, cooperation not only one country can do that so still like even though that uh, 
China trying to break through, but still there is a lot of limitation to get uh, to the uh, most advantage. Uh, I mean, uh, the most advanced technology in the in the chip making. All right. Maybe we can talk about some of the limitations later. But let's uh, go to Brian Wong first. Um, Brian, good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. This uh, this breakthrough was made uh, despite the U.S. trade sanctions. Um, what does this tell us about the efficacy of the uh, trade restrictions? Yeah. Look. So the first thing I'll say here is that um, there, there's a reasonable hypothesis that suggests that the chip was in fact made, um, or rather that the chip was in fact imported from TSMC prior to the taking effect of the ban. So essentially, the argument here was that Huawei was utilising 7nm chips from TSMC. Now that's not verified, but there's a possibility of that, which suggests that maybe it has less to do with the efficacy or inefficacy of the sanctions, insofar as it's more to do with you know what has gone on prior to the ban taking effect. And another comment I'll note is even if it were the case that SMIC were able to come up with 7nm chips, you know, the extent to which it is scalable and replicable on a large scale remains to be seen, right? And that's also in part why, you know, the Huawei 60 mate um, sold out within a couple of hours. And some speculated that, you know, maybe that suggests a limited number of copies being produced and ergo a limited number of chips are in fact available. Despite all of that, you know, what's remarkable here is that this breakthrough was achieved despite all the talk that was basically uh, portraying the Chinese chip endeavor as, as doomed. Despite all the such sort of trash talking and talking down of it, we've seen the Chinese chip industry persist in coming up with, indeed, pretty cutting edge, even if it's not the most cutting edge chip, so to speak, with the 7nm chip. So, so that's my assessment there. Can you just explain what, what is the breakthrough with this chip that everyone's talking about? Yes, so prior to this uh, Huawei 60 Pro Mate's uh, development, there was a, a general consensus, I suppose, in the tech policy world that China would struggle with uh, reliable and also a sustained production of 7nm chips. Okay, The general view was that perhaps in legacy chips, e.g. the finest chips that are 28nm or above in size, China probably does have a comparative advantage in virtue of its scale, the manufacturing strengths, as well as, you know, the pre-existing leads and head start. But when it comes to smaller chips, like 7nm chips and indeed 3nm chips, these are the chips in which, you know, much doubt has been cast on where not China could produce them in a mass assembly context, despite... I believe one to two years ago, it was announced that SMIC uh, was able to develop a, a one 7nm chip and to manufacture it entirely independent of all the other countries that were part of the American-led tech uh, uh, ban, so to speak. So in short, you know, yes, this particular event signified that China was capable of, you know, at least given its current resources, of mustering enough to, to break through in producing on mass, or at least in limited scale, but still on mass, at large, a uh, 7nm chip-powered phone model. Okay. All right. Let's uh, let's uh, now bring in Professor Mahoney. Good morning. Good morning. So um, earlier, uh, Brian Wong, he's saying that uh, um, this breakthrough, it doesn't really um, necessarily question the uh, um, effectiveness of the trade restrictions, but uh, some analysts have described uh, this breakthrough as a slap in the face for the U.S. Um, do you agree with that assessment? You know, it's it's really quite premature to come to uh, some clear conclusions at this point. Um, you know, we're seeing a lot of different information uh, talking about this this breakthrough. On the one hand, uh, one of the speculations is that uh, SMIC was able to do this 
using um, uh, machines that they uh, had acquired from the Dutch firm ASML, um, that they were able to fine-tune those machines in ways that were then able to achieve uh, this 7-nanometer uh, chip. Um, but uh, others have speculated that this um, is a very costly and, and uh, relatively inefficient um, uh, production technique um, that might not be sustainable um, if uh, the U.S. Uh, ramps up additional sanctions, which uh, some have called for in Congress, um, to, you know, totally blacklisting uh, all exports uh, towards uh, Huawei or SMIC uh, beyond what they already experience. So, uh, and then there's been some other speculation that um, that this is a, a more costly production that is only affordable, um, given um, uh, what some speculate will be uh, government subsidies uh, benefiting uh, Huawei and possibly SMRC. So, uh, whether or not it's sustainable, whether or not it can um, uh, be mass produced whether or not this will be something that could, uh, uh, Huawei could push into the export market if it can indeed satisfy domestic demand. These are all outstanding questions that certainly uh, are feeding into uh, a lot of the, the questioning that's taking place in Washington right now. We know that, um, that various firms, uh, Western tech firms, but, but I would assume someone uh, under contract with the U.S. government, given some of the comments we've heard from Jake Sullivan, they've started doing breakdowns of the, of the new product, uh, trying to estimate what percentage uh, of the, of the uh, device is made um, uh, strictly in China and, and uh, what uh, components um, uh, would be relying on um, technologies that the U.S. is trying to restrict and whether or not new restrictions are indeed uh, called for. Right. So let's go back to Mr. Lam. Um, Mr. Lam, so um, as uh, uh, Professor Mahoney mentioned, as uh, Brian Wong mentioned, uh, there are different uh, ideas or different speculations on where um, these chips uh, actually came from. Um, what does the tech industry um, think? I mean, where? I mean, how is it actually manufactured, or um, where did it actually come from? So. It is true that uh, there are a lot of rumors, or like also there's some uh, agent they already uh, 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 knocked down those uh, uh, chips to find out who is making it. But still, uh, there's still many uh, 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 noise in uh, during this message. So currently, uh, before the Huawei is going to announce, I think very soon they announce that they will publish their uh, 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 the whole series for the uh, for the Mate 60. I think at that time, I think at that point, they may uh, start to talk about like uh, what kind of chipset they are using. But currently, that uh, it is too early that we can say, okay, uh, Huawei or Visa or SMIC to, to make this chipset. I think uh, it is coming from them. But the thing is that the technology behind, is it uh, uh, the breakthrough in China possible? But uh, I think at the moment, it's still early to... Uh, uh, make it concrete information because currently we don't know the full series. Like, right. uh, is it going to combine with Qualcomm chipset or not? So they may, they still continue to offer right. this kind of product. And, and, and of course, uh, now there are calls by some U.S. congressmen for a complete halt of all technology exports to Huawei and SMIC because uh, the chipmaker is being accused of violating U.S. sanctions uh, by using American technology uh, to, to manufacture the new chip. Um, are there concerns in the tech industry that restrictions may be tightened further? 
Uh, it's already tightened further already. At the moment, there's not any possible that they can access to this. Uh, we're talking about like 5G technology or like the, the real life of 5G technology and the, the restrictions. So currently, I don't see there's like uh, still many ways to tighten. But of course, we lately said uh, 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 the U.S. also like uh, saying that the Korean uh, companies are selling the memory chip to to to, to Huawei and start to check in that, but. As uh, what they said that uh, the, the the memory chip is purchased before the sanction uh, uh, started, so still uh, uh, China also have uh, many chipset uh, companies or memory com- uh, uh, chip companies. They are making uh, efforts to break through this kind of constraints. Uh, 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 I think there should be like concrete movement uh, between the in, uh, semiconductor industry in China. Right. Um, Dr. Wong and perhaps uh, Professor Mahoney, you can answer this about why is the chip manufacturing such a political issue? Uh, Dr. Wong? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's several layers to this. The first is that chips are incredibly essential you know, as, as a component of appliances ranging from military equipment and instruments all the way through to the most advanced electronic appliances we have home. Uh, and this is increasingly going to be a definitive sort of moment or determinant of not just the quality of economic growth and development, but also specifically in the area of AI, of artificial intelligence, you know, processing capacitors on a part of CPU and GPU, GRU, the, the extent to which AI is able to process large volumes of information, you know, billions of bytes or billions of KBMB in one split second, that is contingent upon, you know, the, the physical hardware and infrastructure, e.g. the chips they used to power uh, the processors and the computers and also the appliances deployed to store and also to run artificial intelligence programs. So I think the first level or the second level really have to do with the utility and the value of chips specifically in relation to artificial intelligence and also other cutting-edge technologies that require vast, vast processing uh, capacities that are just not matched and rivaled by, say, the demands of the human economy 30 years or 40 years ago. And the additional third layer of consideration has to do with the symbolism here. So we look back at the past a few decades, or really, um, the Cold War, for instance, was defined by geopolitical contestation and competition over nuclear weapons. Whereas, you know, in, 20, in the 2020, where we are today, I'm not suggesting that we are in a Cold War. What I am suggesting, nevertheless, is that uh, China and America are locked in an incredibly vigorous and intense competition across a multitude of dimensions. And one of these dimensions is precisely who can lay claim to firstly, you know, being able to pioneer and advance cutting-edge technologies via semiconductors, there's symbolism there, but secondly, also the self-sufficiency and self-reliance of the respective economies. We hear a lot of talk about de-risking from the EU or in America with the Inflation Reduction Act, right? Essentially, the shift towards more protectionism and cultivation of domestic capacitors in uh, manufacturing chips, um, again, as, as further bolstered by the Chips Act last year. Symmetrically, in China, we're seeing a similar push because uh, the Beijing administration is concerned about becoming over-dependent upon non-China or Chinese circuit 
chip producers and manufacturers to the extent where you know policies such as the Chips Act last year could have and will continue to pose a concern to Beijing to the extent that's the case that's not ideal so from the Chinese perspective to gain self-sufficiency in chips is not just a matter of economic prosperity and development it also concerns its national security and overarching you know autonomy so to speak on the international stage. So, Professor Mahoney, why do you think China is uh, sorry? The U.S. is so worried about China's technological advancement. You know, I think the point we have to come back to uh, is that whatever the various motivations of this uh, U.S. tech war, uh, at its core, it's about an arms race uh, and American determination to sustain, uh, if possible, uh, and if possible, uh, expand uh, tech superiority, uh, given uh, the possibility of military conflict. Uh, an increasing possibility of military conflict between the two countries. Now, uh, NSA advisor Jake Sullivan reminded us this, and uh, uh, he reminded us of this in his comments on this uh, new Huawei device, that U.S. policies are driven primarily by the desire to curtail Chinese military acquisitions of cutting-edge technologies. And with this in mind, uh, restricting Chinese private companies um, uh, like Huawei and SMIC so they can't develop the ability to produce products that the Chinese uh, military may find useful uh, down the line. So, I, you know, I, I, we, we, we will see some political hyperventilating from Gallagher and others in Congress uh, that want to target uh, Huawei and SMIC. Um, and, uh, and certainly this will, you know, be following in the, in the same sort of mindset that we saw emerge uh, under Trump and that has continued under Biden somewhat, you know, uh, sort of the spurious targeting not only uh, of Huawei but also firms like TikTok. Uh, but I, 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 from, from uh, uh, Sullivan's comments, I don't think we have to worry too much about the memory chips um, that are coming from possibly uh, South Korea and, and being components here. It's more about, you know, what can be used uh, in terms of advanced military uh, technology. You know, on the one hand, history has shown that tech superiority is a key to uh, conquest and domination. Uh, on the other hand, the extent to which societies today can develop or acquire uh, sufficient technology, uh, exploit asymmetries, but above all, function as advanced uh, technological societies, despite not having the most advanced uh, technologies, uh, has diminished uh, the importance of having uh, absolute tech supporting. Now, China, um, uh, I think in my estimation and, and many others, is in fact one of the most advanced uh, and by some accounts the most advanced uh, technological society today, despite uh, still being uh, behind uh, the U.S. and some other countries in, in terms of some technology stocks. So, uh, you know, the, the, the outstanding question of whether or not this this uh, uh, policy, this um, uh, uh, tech war that's been instigated by the U.S. is actually going to achieve fruits or whether or not China will continue to find ways to chip away at it, uh, perhaps um, with this little breakthrough from Huawei or by uh, more substantial ones down the road remains to be seen. Uh, but, you know, other estimates say uh, maybe it's all for naught. Uh, maybe, maybe um, you know, the idea that, that one little chip is going to stand in the way of, of um of China being able to uh, assert its sovereignty or defend its security or advance its economy um, uh, represents the sort of uh, hubris uh, that has long dominated um, American policymaking since the end of World War II.
All right. I have a uh, Facebook uh, comment here from one of our listeners, uh, Henry. He, he says, um, I wonder how U.S. would react if uh, U.S. does nothing. Effectively, it is saying tech is saying tech war is hard to win. U.S. Uh, looks like a paper tiger to China. Or if it uh, applies more sanctions, China may counter sanction and Biden may have little chance to meet President Xi in person. And uh, it might impact on uh, Biden's re-election. And then he goes on to say U.S. A chips uh, industry would of course ask Biden not to do so. If it applies more export restrictions, then U.S. semiconductor industries would be hurt more. And then it would have add a further impact on Biden's re-election issue again. And uh, that's from our listener, Henry. So, um, Brian Wong, what do you think? Um, if uh, the U.S. does uh, further tighten restrictions or introduce a complete halt on uh, exports, um, what impact will it have on the Sino-U.S. relations? Well, I think the reality is that you know, both Beijing and Washington need to recognize, and I, I would posit that Beijing probably does so more than Washington, that the other counterpart in this relationship isn't going anywhere, and that China's rise may not be preordained or inevitable, but that it's likely simply in virtue of the huge manufacturing base, the gigantic labor dividend, albeit you could argue that it is shrinking due to demographic issues, as well as, of course, you know, the amount of investments into basic research and R&D in China. All of these are long-standing institutional fortes that aren't going anywhere, even if the, if the U.S. were able to, you know, rally and corral its allies and partners into imposing more sanctions and more blockades and more export bans. None of that is going to halt China's ability to develop its own endogenous technological capacities in conjunction with its partners and also allies, so to speak, in the space. So the real question for Washington then is how should it manage you know, the rise of China in a manner that is constructive, not just for the American people or the Chinese people, but also for the world at large. And that behoves American politicians to refrain from the self-destructive, chaotic, and frankly, I would say, deeply, deeply, you know, futile act of seeking to inhibit China's rise in each and every area. Sure, there are security concerns. Sure, there are valid, you know, considerations pertaining to ideological differences and also the implications of Chinese technological capacities on domestic American uh, civilians' lives, although I would argue that the impacts are far smaller than is often, you know, presented by the hyperbolic claims by the likes of Gallagher and Tom Cottonson and so forth, these concerns exist. But at the end of the day, America's got to learn to coexist and ideally in peace as opposed to in such, you know, vitriolic and acrimonious relations with China. And similarly, China also needs to navigate carefully the next 10 to 20 years of global geopolitics to, to refrain from being locked out of the international financial and economic systems upon which it is very much still dependent as we speak. So, so all in all, you know, the, the, the diagnosis there is that both sides need to come to an agreement on how to disagree or how to agree to disagree, really. And that's my takeaway. Uh, Dr. Wong, as we heard in that Facebook message there, do you agree that if there's any further export bans, that that would hurt the U.S. semiconductor industry more? It depends on the nature of that ban and depends on the content in that you know, policy, right? The, the devil always, li always lies in the details. Um, obviously, it would hamper uh, America's ability to access uh, arguably cheaper and more affordable chips. So on the flip side, you know, one can't rule out the possibility that there is indeed an effective chokehold that could be exercised over 
China as a result of these export bans. So really, it depends on what the policy is. But I, I certainly think that Beijing's demonstrated remarkable resilience in you know, circumventing, but also in benefiting off the talent inflows, really, right? The exodus of talent from Silicon Valley and American institutions induced by this neo-McCarthyist scare. All right, all right, all right Brian. Brian yeah. Wong, let's uh, continue this uh, after the news because uh, yeah. we have to take a short break uh, for the news summary. Um, uh, and uh, that will be, we'll, uh, we'll continue our discussion uh, in around uh, two minutes' time. Um, now, if you want to ask our guests questions or just share your views on today's topics, you can leave a message on our Facebook page Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. And uh, here's an update on the traffic situation. Um, because of uh, flooding, the following road sections are still closed to all traffic. And uh, these includes Tai Tam Road, both bound, Sheko Road near Lan Nai Wai, Chai Wan Road roundabout, and Ping Chair Road. And also because uh, of landslides, um, the following road sections are still close to traffic. And uh, this includes all lanes of uh, Peak Road, both bounds, all lanes of Stops Road and a part of uh, the lanes of inter- the intersection between Island Road and Repulse Bay Road. And also all lanes of Wong Ma Kok Road near St. Stephen's Beach and also all lanes of Castle Peak Road um, in Shamcheng near the uh, Garden Company Limited. And uh, now uh, here's a quick look at the weather. Cloudy with heavy rain and squally thunderstorms, rain will ease off gradually later. The uh, black rainstorm warning signal, thunderstorm and landslip warnings are currently in place and the special announcement on flooding in northern New Territories has been issued. Today's top temperature, 28 degrees with moderate southeasterly winds. And forecasters say there will be occasional showers and a few thunderstorms tomorrow. Sunny intervals early next week. And uh, right now, the uh, temperature reading at the observatory is uh, 25 degrees and uh, the relative humidity right now is a 97 percent it's now 9 30 with the news summary here's ben che an unprecedented deluge has prompted Hong Kong's longest ever black rainstorm warning since 11 p.m. last night. A record hourly rainfall of 158.1 millimeters was recorded between 11 p.m. and midnight, the highest since 1884. The Hong Kong Observatory said the remnants of tropical cyclone Haikwei had brought the torrential rains to the territory. Many roads across the territory have been flooded. Numerous cars have broken down. Most daytime bus routes have been suspended, while services on the MTR between Sheket May and Choi Hong stations were down due to flooding. And all-day school classes were suspended today, and the government warned that the extreme conditions will continue until noon at least, and appealed to employers to treat the situation like a typhoon number signal 8, give due consideration to the safety of employees, and adopt a sympathetic and flexible work arrangement. I'll have more news at 10. The chief executive will announce his second policy address this October. The government is conducting a public consultation. Please share your views on various policy areas. I would like to have your views. We will do our utmost for people's livelihood and the economy. And together, let's make Hong Kong a better home. For details, please visit www.policyaddress.gov.hk. How much trash and unnecessary waste are we generating in our daily life? 
the government will launch the municipal solid waste charging on April 1st next year. You'll have to pay for the trash that you throw away. Let's reduce waste at source. Dump less and save more by bringing the recyclables to Green at Community for recycling and earning green dollars. Change our habits to achieve zero waste, carbon neutrality. Remember, the municipal solid waste charging will start on April 1st next year. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Friday morning with Samantha Butler and me, Janice Wong. Still with us on the program is Joseph Gregory Mahoney, Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. Brian Wong, an assistant professor in philosophy at the University of Hong Kong. And Ivan Lam, senior analyst at CounterPoint Research. Now, before the news, we, we talked about uh, what Huawei's uh, technological breakthrough means, the uh, possible impact on signing U.S. ties, and, uh, um, and uh, we will touch on uh, maybe its impact, possible impact on the mainland's economy if the U.S. decides to tighten trade restrictions further. And uh, apart from that, um, what's also quite interesting is the response of many Chinese consumers who have purchased a new Huawei phone and, uh, and uh, have been busy posting videos on social media with uh, speed tests and their general assessment of the phone. Now, uh, Professor Mahoney, you're in Shanghai. Um, what can you tell us about people's reaction to the new phone and uh, to the technological breakthrough? Well, clearly, a lot of people are excited uh, about it. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of frustration, I think, in China, um, uh, given uh, the perception that the U.S. has been trying to contain and suppress uh, uh, the country's development. This has certainly been a line that's been promoted uh, by Beijing, and a lot of people um, uh, have been sympathetic to it. Um, you know, I think in, in the case of um, um, uh, this new product, um, one of the big questions that we're seeing uh, discussed is whether or not it's going to um, put a dent in uh, the iPhone 15 sales. Uh, that, that product was expected uh, to, to be announced, um, I think, uh, in October. Um, and, um, uh, you know, given the fact that um, I think there's sort of two things at work here. One, certainly the, the patriotism and nationalism that's, that has um, been responding to these developments. Uh, but also, you know, I, I, I suspect there's a little bit of, uh, of uh, fatigue um, with um, uh, the Apple brand, uh, perhaps. Um, people have lived with this brand uh, long enough now to, to, ex to have experienced uh, various ups and downs. You know, we've had uh, concerns with uh, services and batteries and all these sorts of things and various models that didn't perform as well as others, uh, so forth and so on. Um, and although people are still, I think, invested in the image and, and certainly the ecosystem, uh, I think that there is sort of this opening, given uh, the geopolitical situation, um, for people to uh, embrace uh, what they would what they would uh, hope uh, represents a domestic winner in terms of this new Huawei product. Right. Mr. Lam, what do you think? I mean, do you think uh, this new Huawei product will affect uh, uh, iPhone 15 sales? So uh, from our analysis view that uh, in, in a short term or in a short period, maybe the sales of Huawei may be going up a little bit. But in the long run, like for they're talking about expecting that after the uh, Apple's launching, like you think into the Q4, like we are saying that the hot, uh, I mean the hot selling season, uh, the, uh, the Apple still can be maintained uh, their top spots in yeah. among the sales because, because that uh, Apple's proved to be a uh, uh, a very uh, cost value product because if you buy one 
uh, uh, iPhone, uh, you can use this iPhone for like uh, three to four years. So in, in that case, uh, currently we are saying that in China, consumer their their uh, replacement cycle is getting longer and longer, like existing like forty five average forty five months is already. So uh, it is uh, so iPhone itself already proved that it can like use for a long time. And then, uh, uh, but with the Huawei's comeback, like they already announced that uh, they are going back to the uh, relative uh, normal uh, launching cycle already, not including the May, but also P series, also Enjoy series and the Nova series. So Huawei's uh, volume is getting back. Like uh, we are talking about like in Q4, uh, Huawei can sell like uh, uh, within the top uh, of four uh, brands in China. So currently that, uh, because after uh, Apple launches uh, iPhone 15 series, there is like channels going to dump their price like, or discount price. Uh, like, uh, let's say that some platform may be like uh, subsidized up to uh, 2,000 uh, China yuan. So it's a very attractive price if the, if the price drop for the iPhone. So, uh, in that context, uh, iPhone still like uh, keep it their very advantage place in uh, China uh, right. ma- uh, smartphone market. Right. And Mr. Lam, I, I just want to go back to uh, what we discussed a bit earlier about uh, um, uh, calls from by the U.S., uh, some congressmen in the U.S. Uh, for uh, a complete halt to all technology exports uh, to Huawei and SMIC. Um, if it does go ahead, um, h- how would, you, would that affect other technological development on the mainland, Mr. Lam, uh, for, for example, AI? I mean, what, what sort of impact would it have? So uh, in broader sector of tech in China, that uh, it, they, they are not stopping, like they're not waiting the, 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 the alternative support from outside of China. So currently, they already generate uh, a lot of, uh, uh, I mean, a, a lot of uh, resources, human resources, and they're investing in these uh, tech sectors in China and broader sectors. So uh, we, and we're not sure, but the sanction is going to like proceed or not. But in case, so of course, it will be like uh, uh, impact in many ways in the tech world in China because. Uh, Still, a lot of like we call it that uh, the IPs are holding like by the U.S. company in case they they're not allowed to use it. So there will be a lot of country coming. So uh, that will be a failure in the tech uh, in the tech side. If like uh, because the technology we, uh, we 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 welcome innovation. Innovation we we need the collab, uh, collaboration from multiple countries. So uh, previously when I I went to Israel. Uh, they saying that the people from uh, U.S. go to Israel to get the innovation and co- commercialize it in, in U.S. and then sell to the world. That's how it works for the technology side. So in case you block uh, the technology to export, that means that uh, a lot of companies in U.S. Uh, actually their major contributor are China market. So in that case, a lot of uh, companies in uh, China, they got block or uh, they got uh, constraints and a lot of uh, sales in, uh, uh, for the U.S. company get blocked as well. So mm. it's 
I cannot imagine that will happen. Yeah. Mm, so Mr Lam was talking about how you need collaboration in technology. Uh, Professor Mahoney, what sort of support does the US have from allies and Europe in its China tech war? Well, I just spent uh, uh, 40 days in Europe. Um, and so it was interesting. I, I dialogued with a lot of colleagues. Um, from what I can discern, um, Europe uh, is, is moving in such lockstep uh, with uh, the United States at this point that a lot of governments uh, seem to be erring uh, on the side of caution and even uh, imposing uh, even greater restrictions than U.S. policies demand to make sure that they stay on the right side of U.S. policies. Now, I think that the concern uh, among diplomats, certainly the concern in Beijing, although it hasn't been expressed so directly, is whether or not uh, China has, in fact, uh, lost Europe. Of course, that wouldn't be uh, entirely the case. It still has uh, close friends in, in Hungary and, and, to a certain extent, Greece and other places. Um, but uh, nevertheless, there's, there is this concern that one of the great casualties of the um, war in Ukraine has been to um, uh, further alienate uh, uh, China, uh, given Chinese neutrality. Um, in uh, European capitals, and that this has in turn um, uh, intersected with uh, U.S. Uh, strategies related to the tech war. All right. And uh, I just want to go back to uh, Brian Wong. Um, before the news, uh, you talked a bit about uh, the impact, the possible impact it may have on Sino-U.S. Uh, relations. Um, what about uh, U.S. domestic politics? I mean, earlier, our listener, Henry, he also mentioned uh, about uh, Biden's re-election, uh, re possibly, like how this uh, whole um, uh, the list, this latest breakthrough might uh, affect uh, his re-election. What's your take on that? So I, I do not see this breakthrough as being of such Brian, 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 sorry, sorry, there's something wrong with your phone line. Hello? Hi, hello. Am yes, I that's better. Hello. Yes, that's, that's much better. I was just saying, I do not see this event as being of the magnitude of sufficient importance as to affect Biden's re-election chances. But it does suggest that as Biden seeks to position himself as a candidate that ostensibly can unite America over its ability to wage this persistent struggle against China, that it would, he would seek to ratchet up the rhetoric, even if not the actions next year, in relation to China because he is confronted by a populist megalomaniac uh, uh, candidate from the Republican Party who's very likely going to be in jail by the time uh, he, he, in fact, contests the election. That is why Biden needs to buy all his stocks to demonstrate the so-called strength of the American establishment to the American people. What does that mean in terms of tech sanctions and also export bans? I predict in ratcheting up and also escalation and intensity, frequency, and also the extent to which, indeed, American interests would really be prioritized. I don't see that as being likely in so much as, say, this political theater and the impression or the fostering of the impression that American interests are supposedly being protected and upheld by the American government. In short, I expect more performativity, more theater, and less substantive agreement on figuring out an actually you know, reasonable modus vivendi of coexistence with China. Uh, and that's my prediction for 2024 and beyond. Professor Mahoney, do you agree with his assessment? I well, I'm not as optimistic as he is about Trump being in jail. <laughs> but uh, 
Um, I, you know, I, and I'm not I'm not quite certain that Biden will win the election. There are many different scenarios where where that uh, could, could go. But nevertheless, I think uh, it is clear that the U.S. is on a path of continuing to advance um, what Kissinger and others have described as a Cold War. Um, and certainly, you know, to from from what I can see in China, uh, there is this concern that the U.S. is on a path uh, towards actual war sometime in the next two to five years before its technological advantages completely evaporate. So, you know, in this climate of increasing securitization, which focuses firstly on technology, uh, I would expect the U.S., uh, under Biden or whoever follows him uh, to continue to advance um, uh, things like the tech war, uh, uh, new sanctions and what have you, uh, until you know they reach a breaking point. And uh, Mr. Lamb, at the beginning of the program, you were saying that this Huawei chip could have been developed from technology that came prior to any U.S. sanctions. So if that was the case, then it would be unfair for the U.S. to impose export controls on Huawei and SMIC then? I think that's not my point that uh, it's uh, before because currently that they know in that Huawei is invest like like uh, uh, very huge R&D uh, money into the, the the research especially in the chipset side because we know that Huawei business needs they need the chipset and then it's essential to Huawei business that's a huge uh, so that's why they invest like up to 25 percent of the revenue to 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 do the R&D so currently that. Uh, uh, prior to that, we know that Huawei already have the capability to to uh, to to design the chipset. But the thing is, how to realize the manufacturing? So that's why that Huawei is like invest money, invest human resource, and work together collaboration with the Chinese vendors to try to how to make this realize that chipset realize. So that's why uh, in the past few years that the uh, 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 this uh, uh, undergoing research and also investment into these sectors, how to realize, like, for example, working with SMIC, for example. So uh, so that, that that's what they did in the past. So currently in case, I mean, anything happening, but still that the, uh, this kind of how to try to hold the things in hand, uh, it will be undergoing. Even giving sanction, no sanction, they try to create something internally. Yeah. All right. And Mr. Lam, I remember at the start of the program, you said uh, the mainland is still far away from cutting edge uh, tech um, because of limitations. And I was going to ask you what these limitations are. Uh, all right. So uh, we know that, uh, in, in, uh, for example, like for the manufacturing these chipset, they need the machine from uh, SML. They need the uh, materials from applied materials. Uh, they need the materials from Japan and Korean uh, suppliers. So they, because they are holding the the the, the most of uh, most of one's uh, materials in the world. So in case that uh, uh, they given sanctions for all these kind of materials, that means they need to generate from China mainland vendors. That will be like these kind of sectors. It's still very huge gap between the Chinese company and the Korean Japan companies as well as Holy Company. 
All right, so Mr. Lam, uh, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Uh, that's uh, Ivan Lam, Senior Analyst at CounterPoint Research. Many thanks also to Joseph Gregory Mahoney, a Professor of Politics and International Relations at East China Normal University in Shanghai. And also Professor Brian Wong, an Assistant Professor in Philosophy at the University of Hong Kong. And uh, it's now 9.48 and it's, uh, it's time to move on to our next topic. And it's about a survey on latest dating trends or more specifically on how home ownership may or may not affect your chances of finding a partner. Let's take a look right after this. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. I'm Gilly of Consumer Council. Happy birthday, LDHK, for your 95th anniversary. May I wish you always filled with positive energy, continue to discover and report accurate, impartial and objective consumer news for consumers to shop smartly every day. 95 years of public service broadcasting. Stay tuned with Hong Kong. You're listening to Backchat. Call us on 233-88-266 and have your say. So how important is home ownership when it comes to dating or finding a spouse? A survey of more than 440 people has recently been carried out by Hong Kong Romance Dating. To look into that and uh, to tell us more about the findings, we're now joined on the line by Winston Yu from the Dating mm. Agency. Good morning, Mr. Yu. Good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So um, can you tell us about your survey findings? Sure. Yes, we have conducted uh, a survey, a questionnaire uh, to our clients, and also we did the interview uh, outside on the street. Uh, we we asked around uh, 443 men and women were interviewed, including 261 male respondents and 182 female respondents. We want to find that uh, Hong Kong people consider uh, whether their partner uh, needs to have a property uh, when they're finding their lovers. And what did you find out? Yeah, Is it important? Find... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's quite important because uh, we are a dating company, so uh, we want to conduct this survey uh, to know more about uh, nowadays Hong Kong singles, uh, what they consider if they find their partners. We find that um, actually uh, uh, 70% of men said uh, owning a property makes it easier for them to meet a partner, actually, yeah. And also we find that uh, uh, some of the woman, more than half of the women are willing to pay half of the rent when they live in with their partner. And also, uh, uh, 65% of women expect to pay the down payment with their partner when they uh, want to uh, buy a property. And also, uh, 80% of Hong Kong people don't agree to buy home and get uh I mean that uh, 80% of Hong Kong people do not agree to buy a home and get married uh, together. That means uh, um, that means uh, they don't agree. Uh, uh, they don't agree that buy a home and get married is a necessary condition for them to find a partner. Right? Did they explain why? Yeah. 
Uh, because uh, actually nowadays Hong Kong property price is quite high and it's quite hard for them to afford uh, the property price. Uh, actually, um, uh, we find that 75% of Hong Kong people said Hong Kong property prices are unaffordable. So uh, around 43% of men said property prices in Hong Kong are unaffordable, followed by 33% who said it, it, uh, said it is very affordable, and 42% of women said it is very affordable, followed by 35% who said it is unaffordable. Uh, in these cases, uh, because it is our first time to conduct this kind of survey, and uh, even though the, the price has dropped a little bit in the market, but uh, still, more than se- uh, around 75% of Hong Kong people said it's still unaffordable. If we cannot uh, 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 buy a home, how how could we? Uh, how could they uh, to uh, to uh, yeah to find a place to live together? But nowadays, a lot of Hong Kong people said, or oh, 80% said, oh, it it doesn't matter, even though we don't have a place, but. Uh, 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 even though we didn't own, uh, haven't owned a house, uh, uh, so they uh, when they consider to find a partner, uh, owning a property is not a must. Well, it's a bit of a mismatch. You say 80% say that it's not important, whereas 70% of men felt that owning property made it easier to find a partner, actually. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, yeah. yeah, sorry, go on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, if if someone said, oh, if I own a property, it is easier for me to find a partner. But uh, actually, nowadays, uh, uh, yeah, it, 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 it's a how to say it's a sign for 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 that. Oh, if they uh, have a uh, property, it is a add-on value, extra point uh, uh, for them to to find a partner. But uh, actually, uh, for the woman saying that, uh, uh, for the actually seventy-eight uh, percent of women said, "Oh, uh, do not agree that buy a home and get married is a necessary condition." Mm, so they so they think it's necessary, but actually it isn't. Can you tell us a bit about your romance dating site? Uh, our romance dating. Oh, yeah, yeah. Our, our suggestion. You mean that? Uh, no, can you tell me a bit about your, is romance dating, is it an online uh, romance website, is it? Oh, no. Well, we are a dating company. Uh, we we will, uh, we are not an uh, online dating app. We are just a company to help the single man and woman to, uh, to do the consultation and know their backgrounds and also their requirements of finding the partners. So we will... Uh, we will have some consultants to help them to match together. We we have one-on-one matching, uh, so uh, uh, we will know more about uh, their personality first, and then to help them to match and find the best candidates in our company. How successful are your methods? Yes, our successful rate uh, is around 60, uh, 50 to 60 percent. That means uh, if they use our service, if they can find a partner to uh, get along with, uh, uh, get along with, then uh, 
which is the successful uh, case for us. So around uh, the, our successful rate is around 50 to 60 percent. And, and so I guess that your company focuses on helping people find long-term relationships then? Yes, long-term relationship and marriage. Right. So then do you think that your clients are a bit older than uh, some young people using online dating sites? Our, our, our clients are usually from uh, 30 to uh, 50, 30 to 50, uh, a bit of mature age uh, mm. in the group. Mm. Right. And then have you noticed that uh, people are looking for different things now in their, in their, uh, when they look for a spouse? Do they still look for the same thing compared to maybe a few years ago? Uh, I think they will consider uh, more about uh, the first uh, for the women. They will more consider about the uh, the guys' personalities first, uh, rather than they have uh, how much uh, salary they have or uh, any other properties they have. And also for the guys, for the guys, they usually think about oh, uh, the woman. Uh, uh, what uh, do they have? Uh, nice job and also have a stable job if okay then then they can they will try to uh meet with the candidate right and uh, also i mean you mentioned that uh, i mean i'm just going back to your survey i mean you said it's yeah. the uh, first year that uh, you've uh, carried out this survey um but uh are you i mean are, are the results in line with uh, what you've been seeing over the past few years over the past few years, um, for for our cases, actually, uh, because uh, before uh, I mean uh, before the COVID, some of the uh, Hong Kong uh, Hong Kong candidates want to uh, immigrate to the other countries, so they will consider oh, uh, if some or they have a, a, like a UK passport or a US passport, they will consider more. But uh, nowadays, because uh, I think I think Hong Kong people is quite uh, bad. I mean, the the life is back to normal, so they will more think about uh, uh, they will think about uh, uh, more about the heart, the the personalities they they want to find. Because uh, I think uh, our candidates well. More, uh, more of them are professionals, and they have good salary, good job. So they were more focused on personalities. All right. And uh, do you have any advice for your for people who are looking for a spouse? Yes, uh, we have some advice. Uh, actually, we have some advice for for those uh, single guys and women. Um, we suggest that uh, even though. Uh, even though uh, uh, having a property is a uh, is a good good uh, how to say it's a good condition for guys to find a lover, but for men who haven't bought a home, they don't need to worry about having a flat before they can find girlfriend or, or, or a wife. All right, so Mr. Yu, we'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Winston Yu from Hong Kong Romance Dating. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today. And of course, to our guest presenter, Samantha Butler, and producer, Carolyn Wright. And uh, just a quick update on the traffic situation. Uh, because of flooding, there are still roads, uh, sections of roads that are closed, including Tai Tam Road and Sheko Road. And uh, uh, also...
also because of landslides, uh, Peak Road and Stops Road are both uh, closed. Uh, just uh, stay safe. And uh, Backchat will be back on Monday with Jim Gold and Mike Krause.